I'm not going to talk trash to y'all. If y'all got an email midweek that said, do you know some of the biggest trash talkers? And he pointed out James Ward and I as people who like to talk trash. And I felt kind of offended, but I kind of like wanted to pat myself on the back at the same time. Um, but I, I will not talk trash to you. Um, I'm just going to open the scriptures and, and see what it has to say. Okay. Now, a few years ago, uh, I am... I was kind of born a Dallas Cowboy fan. Um, I'm sorry. Um, I don't really necessarily claim them. I don't actually watch football too much anymore. Uh, and if that makes you upset, then I'm sorry also. Um, but there is a moment in Dallas Cowboy history, recent, not recent history, it was like a long time ago, uh, that kind of went down in infamy. Okay, so they had like the best record, the, second, the best record in their conference. And, uh, and so they got a bye week, and on their bye week, their star quarterback and star tight end and star middle linebacker, they went to Mexico, and they had a weekend getaway to Mexico. And then the following week, they all, all of them, had one of the worst games that they've ever had. And so in the midst of all of that, Everybody slammed them, you know, like there's pictures of them on a yacht, like stretched out in Mexico. And, and everybody is like slamming them, like and trashing them. And they're saying, guys, like y'all are in the midst of the playoffs. Y'all could actually win the Super Bowl. The team that actually beat them went on to win the Super Bowl. And, uh, and you guys are yachting. And their response was kind of like this. Well, it's our free time. We had an off weekend. We normally don't get off weekends during the season. So we went to Mexico, yachting. Now there's some truth to be said in that. You know, like they had a weekend break. Why not go on a trip? But at the same time, when you're the quarterback of America's team, where they put a hole in the roof so God could look down on them, you can't do stuff like that, you know? Otherwise, like, the whole world will be, like, turned upside down. And so today, kind of what we're going to be talking about is, is a little bit of this, like, intermission time. I call it the off-season. Okay? I call it the off-season. Uh, I wanted to keep with what Wes is doing. Wes is eventually going to come back and teach about David and Goliath. And so I didn't want to kind of, um, you know, impede on that too much. So there's a little bit of time between... Uh, last week, and David and Goliath, and I think we really need to talk about it. Okay? So, I'm going to read. Well, I'm going to start picking up a little bit in the middle of what we uh, left on last time, and then we're going to keep moving forward, and we're going to understand this whole concept of the off-season. So, if you guys could open up your Bibles, we're going to turn to 1 Samuel. We're going to start in chapter 16 and verse 17. <coughs> And it says this. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, uh, the Bethlehemite, 
who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine, entered his service, and Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service. For he has found favor in my sight, and whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand, so that Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit left him, or departed from him. Now that's kind of where we ended up last week, okay? So, what do we remember, okay? So we remember like a few chapters ago, uh, David was anointed as king. Uh, when David was anointed as king, Saul... Like the spirit of the Lord immediately leaves Saul. A harmful spirit is actually brought to Saul and is tormenting Saul. Saul's servants say, hey, bring out the musicians. Like, let's bring out the band. We know what kind of uh, influence music has on people's attitudes and their hearts. And in that type of culture, like musicians, they thought could actually relieve spirits. And it actually happened in this case. And so David plays, Saul was refreshed and well, and the harmful spirit departed from Saul. Okay? So that's kind of a quick rundown on what has happened in the past two or so chapters. Okay? Now, if we move down to chapter 17, it's the beginning of the David and Goliath story. If you have a Bible, like an actual hard copy of the Bible, it probably says David and Goliath on there. So let's start right there. Verse uh, Samuel 17 chapter 1, and it says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they gathered at Succo, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Succo and Azekah in Ephes-Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up a line in the battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley in between them. Okay, so there's interesting stuff going on right here. Okay, you may not understand it. If you understood a little bit more of the context, or you might understand it, uh, here's what's happening. Okay, the Philistines are coming up on the land of Israel. Not only are they coming up, they're already kind of halfway through it. And what makes it so interesting is that just like 25 years before this, okay, it's like two chapters before in the Bible, but about 25 to 27 years before, uh, Jonathan, which is Saul's son, like kind of goes back door on the Philistines, and they had, uh, Philistines had a massive army. So Jonathan went back door, Saul went through like the front door, and eventually they kind of trapped the Philistines and kind of annihilated them all. Okay? So... 25 years later, people start hearing, hey, what happened to your dad? Oh, my dad died in the war. Hey, happened to your grandpa? Well, my grandpa died in the war too. And now we're able to fight now. You know, like these little kids who eventually grew up, now they're able to fight. And they're like, hey, we're going to go get those guys. We're going to take our land back and we're going to go over there. So the Philistines come. Right? Now, they had an inferior army. Their army wasn't as large because they just got annihilated 25 years earlier. So their army wasn't as large, it wasn't as powerful, but they had like this secret weapon, okay? They had this secret weapon, and depending on, you know, what, you know, how you look at different biblical measures, uh, the secret weapon was a giant that was like nine foot tall, okay? 
Now, a nine-foot-tall giant, and uh, we went to the men's retreat, and they said, hey, uh, have you ever seen somebody who's, you know, an NBA game? And we were like, sure. And they were like, have you seen the seven-footers? And we were like, yeah. And they were like, do the seven-footers move as good as the six-footers? And we were like, definitely not. And so they, like, argued for a smaller cubit. So they said that Goliath could be anywhere from, like, seven and a half feet to, like, 11 and a half feet. So that's like Goliath's size range, okay? So he's, he's a big dude, no matter what. Like, we went to a Spurs game one time. <laughs> it was awesome. So we were, like, on the floor of the Spurs game. Uh, we got really good seats, like, right before the game started. And we got to walk all the way up to the, like, on the court. And there's a, firmer, a former Spurs player. His name is Sean Elliott. You know, he's, like, the tele color coordinator. Not color coordinator. The TV person for the Spurs. And... We got to meet him, and we got to take a picture with him. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of Sean Elliott stories out there. But we get there, and, you know, we're just kind of shooting the breeze. And Karina, we're, like, taking our picture, and I'm, like, in Sean Elliott's armpit, and Karina's, like, at Sean Elliott's waist. And she looks up at him, and she goes, wow, you're tall. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I get that a lot. And he kind of like walks off and like goofs off and laughing. I was like, man, you couldn't ask him about his kidney transplant, about the, you know, like the Memorial Day miracle shot. You couldn't ask him about winning championships. He's like, man, you are so tall. <laughs> you know, so imagine like this giant walking onto the field of battle, anywhere from like seven and a half feet to 12 close to, and he's like shouting things out. Okay. So I'm going to kind of leave you there because I don't actually want to get into that story yet. Okay? Because there's something that's going on in the midst of where we left David and where David's eventually going to be that I think we really need to uncover. So I'm just going to kind of get you there. There's a giant. He's yelling things, and things are about to get interesting. So we're going to move a few verses down into verse 12, and it says this. It's the first time we've heard of David since, you know, David was playing the, the musical instrument and casting out the spirits. And it says, now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judea named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three eldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul into the battle, and the names of his three sons who went with into the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. Okay. Now, you have the giant. He's coming up for 40 days and he's screaming. And of course, the reason that he's there is because they have an inferior army. So they're like, hey, if I can get you one-on-one, -on -one, that giant will cream any of you guys. You know, like some scholars actually say that he was the one who killed Eli's two sons, like the prophet Eli. You know, and so like, he's like, I will cream any of you guys. So now David, who the Lord of Spirit is actually resting upon, is at this time, who should be in the presence of Saul, is tending the sheep. Okay. Now, I want you to hear this. Back in chapter 16, he, Saul, had asked Jesse, hey, can your son come and stay with me? Can he be my armor bearer? And now David is with the sheep. 
Okay? Now, there's a lot to be said about that. Because there's this whole idea of, like I said, there's something that's going on in the off-season when you're not in the spotlight that will really shine through in the end. So, let's look into that. Has anybody in here ever ridden, like, I went on a mission trip to Indonesia. I read The Purpose Driven Life. Anybody? Anybody wonder what your purpose is? Okay, I'm the only one. Thank you. <laughs> you know, Lord, thank you. I'm the only one who wonders what you want me to do. Everybody else is awesome. You know, may the Lord bless y'all, you know. <laughs> uh, maybe y'all can help me find mine also. So, here's the deal. In the midst of the sheep, David is not only being the shepherd, but being shepherded. Okay, and we have to understand that. Now, Goliath comes out and he's making all of his claims. And lo and behold, after 40 days of doing this, little shepherd boy comes in from the farm because his dad asked him, can you please go take your brothers a snack and bring me back something that is showing that they're still okay. So David, after 40 days, takes his brothers a snack and wonders this. And, and, and strange, the people of God didn't wonder it at all. David came up and was like, how come he is talking like that? How come he's defiling the armies of God? How come that uncircumcised Philistine is defiling the, like the army of God. And how come you're just letting him do that? Now, what I'm trying to say is this. Is that the spirit of the Lord has said that it departed from Saul and went upon David. And David went to ten sheep. So, Part of that process is God getting ready, like David, ready for what it is that he actually has for him. Getting him physically ready and getting him spiritually ready. Okay? How do I know this? Well, look at Jesus. Okay? Look at Jesus. Okay? If David is supposed to be a man after God's own heart, what about God's son? Okay? So, God's son, 12 years old, already God's son, you know, like... it. it it doesn't defame who he is. He gets left behind in the temple. Everybody thinks he's with somebody else. And so he's in the temple and he is talking to the religious leaders of the day. His parents eventually are like, hey, did you know where Jesus was? And they're like, no, do you know where Jesus was? And they were like, eh, he may be somewhere else. And then eventually they have to go back and try to find this kid. And so they go to the temple and he says, hey, uh, why were you worried? I'm here doing my father's work. And then it says after this, he left. I want to read this because I don't want to like, uh, you know, say it, you know, the way that I shouldn't. It says uh, he left so that he can increase in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God. You know, like Jesus at 12. He was already the son of God. He was already anointed as the king of the universe. He already sat at the right hand of the throne of God. And it said this, I need to go away because I need to grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God. 
And so part of David doing that is getting away from Saul. Because if you're around a negative dude who has like negative spirits in him all the time, guess what? My guess is you're not going to grow very close to the Lord. Just saying. Okay. Now, you continue to look forward at this thing. Okay. So not only did he need to get spiritually ready, but if you look later on, maybe like in verse, uh, let's see where this is. Verse 34-ish on chapter 17, it says this, But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep flock for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. So, I like to travel, and I went to Las Vegas one time, two times actually, um, but I love to do a whole bunch of free things in Las Vegas because I like free things, and they used to, they don't have it anymore. Um, in the MGM Grand, right next to the casino, they had this huge $90 million uh, lion habitat. Okay, it was awesome. You could see like there would be trainers in there and they would grab a bowling ball and this, this guy would toss a bowling ball and a lion, a huge lion, not like one of the lions you see at the San Antonio Zoo who looks like it needs to be put out of its misery, but like a huge lion would like boom, boom, gah, and like grab this bowling ball like it's playing fetch. And like would bring it back to the trainer and the trainer would toss his bowling ball and be like whoo. And so it was kind of interesting because there was a spot where you can walk underneath the habitat and the floor actually had a crack in it. And I looked up and I was like, you know, that doesn't make me feel very comfortable. <laughs> and so here's what happened. There was actually a time when there was a, like a zookeeper or one of the, the people who worked with the animals and he was outside and I said, hey, uh, can I ask you a question? And he said, sure. I said, how come the lion doesn't eat him? because I thought that was a great question. <laughs> you know, like, why does the lion not eat this guy? Like, he looks tasty to me. If I was a lion, I would eat him. And he said, well, because when those lions were cubs, he used to sleep with them. And so the lions were cubs, and he would go sleep with them. So technically, they feel like he's a member of their pride, their family. And I said, awesome. May I ask you another question? And he said, sure. And I said, if I were to walk through that door, how long would I survive? And they said, about 20 seconds. And I said, really? And I said, can I? Can you pull me out after 10? You know, like, <laughs> just for safekeeping? And uh, they said, you, they would pull, like, you'd probably survive for about 20 seconds. And I said, really? Why? He said, okay, for about 10 seconds, they would be afraid of you because you're new and you're in their habitat. And for the other 10 seconds, then they would kill you. And I was like, oh. Okay. I didn't know what to say. You know, 20 seconds max this guy gave me for a couple of trained lions who like humans, you know, who deal with humans on a daily basis. 20 seconds before they would end my life. Now, David is the leader of the flock. And he says this. 
if the lions or the bears come after my flock, then I will go and rescue the lamb out of its mouth and I will strike down the lion or the bear. And if they strike at me, then I will grab them by the beard and strike them. Do that next time you go to the zoo. <laughs> Jump over the fence and see what happens. Don't, don't actually do that. Like, I don't want to get sued or anything. Please <laughs> delete that from the recording. But, like, I, I, don't, I don't think that I understand exactly the type of physical training that David went through to protect his flock. Or that the livelihood that the flock actually meant to the people of Israel. And they were like, yeah, you better rescue that sheep. You know, you need to rescue that lamb because that's part of our livelihood. Like if you don't rescue that sheep or that lamb, we not, may not make it through the winter. You know? So God, in this time of David playing the harp and then eventually David being gone for a bit, was continuing to form David into the man that he wanted him to be. Like, yes, he was anointed with oil. He was the future king of Israel. He knew that. And God still had to make him to who he wanted to be. It would be like this. I told you what, guys, a while ago. I love to travel. Okay? Now, I went on a trip in the summer. I'm thinking about a trip next summer. What am I doing in between now and then to hopefully be able to have a wonderful, successful trip? Maybe doing a little research, maybe planning on where I want to go, maybe working really hard, maybe pulling a little bit extra overtime, maybe taking a little extra, you know, this and that, and budgeting well so that eventually we're able to accomplish our goal. But what I see, and that's just with traveling, what I see, though, however, in, in our Christian walks is this. we see maybe what the Lord is doing. And, and I just wonder if we're doing the best that we can to prepare ourselves to get to what he's doing. I wonder if he's actually, if we're actually allowing him to mold us and shape us into who he wants us to be. If he's preparing us physically and spiritually and emotionally for what he eventually has for us. Because to be very, very honest with you, Sometimes I'm more worried about my trips. Sometimes I'm just plain lazy. And I'm like, Lord, what is my purpose? What is my, you know, what would you want me to do? Do you want me to leave my job and move to Africa and build wells? Do you want me to teach forever and, you know, go through all of that? Do you want me to do this? or this, and I find that in the midst of all of that, I'm more focused on what is, what am I supposed to be doing, and less on, am I getting prepared in the midst of it all? Okay, that's why I asked a while ago, hey, do you guys feel like you know your purpose? Because you're like, hey, if I know my purpose, are you living too far in your purpose that you're not actually molding, getting molded by the Savior at this moment? You know, I got told yesterday, hey, Kevin, guess what? Uh, we need somebody to teach. Dave, you want to do it? Kyle, you want to do it? Jody, I got sick kids. You know, like, who wants to do it? And I was like, oh, I'll do it. Because the Lord says, hey, be prepared in season and out because the off season is important. 
because it's just as important. What you don't see is just as important as what you do. Like if I, as an elder, am not like walking with Jesus on a day-to-day basis, there's a good chance that I'm not going to be up here sharing with you. Like there's a good chance that I would kind of be fumbling around my words and like be extremely theologically incorrect and I would be just like spouting random junk off. Um, And that might be the case. You might be like, Kevin, we need to talk after this. I got some rocks in the car and we're just going to, you know, take you outside the city gates and we're going to see how it works. Um, But in the end of all things, like, am I submitting myself to being molded in the process? Am I submitting myself to being molded in the process? I'm going to tell a story of a dude I know. He's actually in the room, so I'm actually going to not say uh, who he is. But he's kind of impressed me. Like, I, I really look at this dude kind of highly. And here it is. Okay? Uh, I didn't ask him. <laughs> because that's what I do. Um, so I didn't ask him if I could share this, but I'm, I'm pretty sure he would be cool with this. And so uh, he is pretty nice, fancy handsome, studly dude. And I know a lot of you guys think it's you now, but it is one of (laughs) y'all. I can say that. Um, And so um, he said, hey, Kevin. I said, yeah. He said, I think I like this girl. And I'm like, nice. You're, you know, getting to that age. And he's like, you know, um, you know, tell me what, you know, what is it? You know, like, and I start talking about the Lord and, and just, how, you know, God intervenes in the lives of, you know, women and how that is attractive to a man who wants to live like Jesus, you know. So he goes up and tells the girl and she says, nice. I'm going to have to think about it for like a year. No lie. Uh, and, and it literally was like, I need to think about it for a year. Um, I, I kind of committed this time to the Lord. I want to give this time to the Lord. Um, uh, but come see me again in a year, and I'll let you know. Now, this dude, I'm going to tell you, he could have done all kinds of crazy stuff. He could have been like, all right, God, who's next? I'm young, I'm handsome, I'm studly. Look at these arms. You know, like he could have done all kinds of things. And literally, this guy committed the next year of his life to becoming like Jesus. And that's what we would talk about. I'd be like, hey, bro, how are things going? How's your head? How's your heart? Do you still like the girl? Okay, how's your head? How's your heart? Are you starting to be more like Jesus? Like, are you walking more like Jesus? Because when she's done with this year thing, you want to be like Jesus. You know? Because, like, if she says no and you're like Jesus, bro, you're in great shape. If she says yes and you're like Jesus, then, man, praise God, that's good stuff. So, this dude commits to preparing himself to win the prize. And after almost a year, okay, this girl comes up and says, hey, do you remember that conversation we had like a year ago? And he says, yeah. And she says, I think we need to talk about it. 
and he says, okay. And she says, I think the Lord is saying it's okay. And so he had a goal, he had a vision, and he knew that at the end of this thing, whether she said yes or whether she said no, Jesus was his ultimate goal. Being like Jesus was the reward. Being like Jesus was going to win him the prize. And so that's what he did. And she said yes. So that's kind of like the icing on the cake, but it's not the cake itself. The cake itself is becoming more like Jesus. So like eventually, if you're struggling with, okay, what is my future? What are my plans? What am I supposed to be doing? Don't worry about that. The cake is becoming like Jesus. Like that is the, like the main course right there. Okay, that's it. So if I am a teacher and I don't like my job, but I try to do my best that I possibly can at it, and I can't see myself doing it long term, and I struggle with, God, what is it that you want me to do? In the process, I just simply have to say, Lord, make me more like you. Because if you make me more like you, I'm going to be who you want me to be. I'm going to be in the middle of your will. And then in the midst of it all, hopefully you're getting me prepared for what it is that you want me to do. So, church, my question to you is this. Are you getting yourself ready for whatever God has for you? Are you on a daily basis submitting your heart and your life to the word of God, to prayer, to the people of God, to the church of God, to God himself, to see what it is that he could be doing in you so that eventually what he is going to do through you is of him. So, if you want to know why I called this the off-season, it's because of this and why I mentioned the cowboy story and I could have talked about the whole Allen Iverson thing about practice. You talking about practice? It's because this, there is eventually going to be an end goal. And whatever you think that end goal might be, unless it's like death, then you're probably incorrect. Okay, now in this life, and in the few moments that you guys are here, that we are here, am I, are you, are we? Getting prepared. So that when the lions and the bears of this life happen, we're able to face them with full assurance and confidence. So that when the giants come rolling down the street or knocking at your door or anything else that you're willing to stand and you were to say, no, who is that uncircumcised, unclean Philistine? And why is he defying the armies of the Lord? And take a stand. So I love you guys. Um, I'm going to pray. I'm going to play a couple more songs. Eventually we'll have 
announcements and pizza. So, Ben, if you guys could start making your way back up. Uh, let's pray. God, uh, thank you, God. I pray that whatever is seen of us as a church, that you or that we, that we would submit our hearts and our lives to you in what is unseen so that you may bear fruit, good fruit, in what is seen. God, I thank you for um, just your word that doesn't return void, God. Lord, and the fact that there was some type of timing in between David blessing Saul and David decapitating Goliath, and that's a time of preparation for what it is that you wanted to do. May we, as your people, take that time of preparation and may we use it well. Lord, I pray that we would submit our lives and our hearts to you and that you would truly do a great work in us, God. We love you. We thank you for the opening of the word. In Christ's name we pray and ask everything. Amen.